0: Hello and welcome to the Living Now podcast brought to you by your friends at Gathering B. As always, go check us out on Instagram at Gathering underscore B and give us a follow for more content. My name is Lydia and I am the co-founder of Gathering B and I am joined by my awesome co-host Sophia today. And today's topic is going to be on the cultural distortion of what it means to love thy neighbor and how loving thy neighbor has definitely been taken out of context recently in our pop culture whether that's on the media or whether it's the use um that politicians have been using for it and just how loving thy neighbor has kind of turned into something that means giving people a free ticket to do what they want rather than the true biblical definition of love and we're also going to be doing a little bit of defining our neighbor, and um yeah, it'll be a really interesting, definitely theological conversation, Um, but I think that this could really carry through out into any social interaction that we have. So, without further ado, let's get started. So, Sophia, just to kind of talk about loving thy neighbor, whenever we bring this up, what is the first thing that kind of comes to your mind?
1: Um... I tend to think about loving your neighbor as yourself, and how that's, like, typically a saying that is used a lot in society, and, um, just how loving yourself has also kind of been distorted, and, um, I tend to see how if you're loving yourself in a messed-up way, you're gonna love others in a messed-up way, too. Hmm. So that's kind of what I... Think of first answer your question.
0: Yeah, that brings us into like another interesting topic of how love thy neighbor as you have loved yourself kind of puts like a emphasis on like it's good for you to love yourself, um, rather than what I think is meant there is like you do love yourself inherently, love other people as much as you do yourself in essence calling us to be selfless but in a way I feel like this entire love yourself campaign has made people more self-absorbed probably than we may have ever been do you agree with that yeah it is a lot about
1: self-care and like I've seen a lot of things on TikTok and social media of like ditching people if they're not uh feeding your needs or Mm. like Just a lot of, if it's not good for you, cut them out. Like, do what's best for you. And, again, what's best for you being defined as what feels good in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of temporal definitions.
0: Yeah. And that makes it interesting in how it's like, yeah, if they're not good for you, if they're prohibiting you from loving yourself, cut them out. But it makes us define, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Is it just the people that kind of make me love myself more? Or is it anybody that I have an interaction with? So how would you define the cultural definition of your neighbor? Then let's even bring it down into the biblical definition of who is your neighbor. I feel like
1: considering the presupposition that you're cutting people out that don't feed your needs, your neighbor is your friend group and -hmm. your feedback circle Like, the people who you choose to stay around and um,
0: spend your time with. Or even the people that support the same ideologies as you. Exactly. Go ahead, keep
1: going. Uh, That's kind of why I said Feedback Circle. Because um, someone says something and no one really disagrees with them or contradicts what they say and they're never challenged. And they kind of all just agree with each other. And it's a feedback loop. Like mm-hmm. they're just like, oh yeah, that's awesome. And to build on that, this da da da. And they're never really growing in their opinions. Just they're just talking about, you know, what they believe, without really seeing the other side. And I think that's where people tend to stay, like where they feel good because they're never being challenged. They always agree with the other people they're with, and they think they're right all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I feel like s- to answer your question. Society would see your neighbor as people who meet those standards.
0: The people that help you love yourself better. Yeah. Right. So, let's talk about the biblical definition of what is a neighbor. The Bible obviously points to a self-emptying, and even, you know, in the most extreme cases, like a self-sacrifice, but putting your wants and your needs and your desires on the back burner to lift other people up. It's a very selfless definition of self-love. Um, just to you know get things clear, we are to love ourselves and love our bodies because we are human beings created in the image of God. And if we are in Christ, we are loved children of God in which the Holy Spirit indwells. The Bible calls us a temple and we are the living body of Christ. Um, So we are to love ourselves and love what God does in us, but not to the point where we idolize ourselves. Kind of like what we talked about in the last episode. Making ourselves an idol because we love ourselves so much is very against what the Bible teaches. So um, our neighbor then, as culture would say, is somebody that helps me love myself more in that um, idolatry sense, um, uh, really takes away from the entire thrust of this biblical point that says, love your neighbor as yourself, where I love my neighbor so much, I'm going to put myself and my needs on the back burner. So who is our neighbor? Anyone. Um, in the Bible, with the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see... The Samaritan is a member of a neighboring people group. There were the Israelites and the Samaritans. And Jesus gives the Pharisee this example where a priest walks by, a Levite walks by, um, but then the Samaritan, who was the most unlikely person to help this man who had been robbed on the side of the street, gives him help, puts his needs above his own, pays for him to stay. And he says, um, this is the example of being a good neighbor. Um, So helping people who don't even have the same ideologies as you and helping people who don't see eye to eye with you or aren't in a perfect, you know, camp that is right there with you still falls under category of neighbor. What are your thoughts?
1: That also kind of reminds me of the woman at the well and mm. how Jesus treated that lady.
0: Right. I think this whole idea that your neighbor is somebody who agrees with you and shares a similar experience as you has really warped why we should love them. The whole thing has become warped, honestly. It warps why we should love them. It warps... Who our neighbor is, and it warps our idea of what loving ourselves is supposed to be. Um, and so, basically, like I like myself, even I have to come to the conclusion that there are people who far um, far fall on a different area than I do on certain ideas or beliefs or anything. But even though we really, really disagree, and even though we might not have anything in common, I still need to love them as I love myself, which can be really hard. (laughs) That's why it's kind of a challenge to the Christian, because we recognize that it's not the, oh, I'm going to let them help me love myself, but it's more of a, even though I may not like them, they're not my friend they support things I'm against, I still need to love them. I still need to put their needs above my own if it were to come to that. Um, So how, if that was the narrative that was thrown out so widely as much as the other kind of definition that we talked about, do you think it would be as big of a buzz term?
1: I still think it would because even the way we define needs nowadays Mm. is so corrupted. True. Like, what is someone's need? Right. Oh, they need to be validated, or they need to be affirmed in their gender, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like, people see needs as so arbitrarily, like, you know, Mm -hmm. your need is not my need, so I'll just, like, do whatever Mm -hmm. you need, and whatever makes you happy. And a lot of people see needs as Making them happy. like Right. And not, I'm not even saying that what someone needs is just bare necessity, like, are they living?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But what society sees as a needs is just not even close to what the biblical definition of need is.
0: Right. And it makes me think of this, so here's an example, would be people calling abortion... Like using the disguise of calling abortion women's health care. They say women need health care and kind of being like women need access to abortion, which is very clearly in violation of you know everything that the Bible believes and states about human beings and their intrinsic value. But Governor Newsom of California basically put these big billboards out in the states that border California that did not have protected abortion under their state government basically saying if you need access to health care aka abortion you can come to California and you can like seek asylum and the verse that he he put this verse on his billboard but it was the love thy neighbor as yourself and it's kind of like oh yeah women need health care they need this access um, so I'm going to put their needs above my own. And so basically that kind of brings us to the point of, well, what is loving someone in those super corrupt situations where something that they need or they want is giving into that necessarily the most loving or would love B, guiding them in the ways of truth. What are your thoughts? I
1: think most people would agree with you. Um, just to defend the other side for a minute, I can see someone saying, well, how am I supposed to love someone if the second I try to tell them the truth, they shoved me out, and then I can't love them anymore. Like, I don't have access to them. And, um, I don't know, I just think that's something that the other side would say. And what do you think, what would you say to that? So,
0: I think there's good ways of communicating truth. Like, to love someone is to tell them the truth, but you have to do it in a loving way. (laughs) And I know that that kind of sounds like a circular definition, but you have to hear me out in that, like, If I come at somebody in a way that seems like I am attacking or hateful, um, then what good am I really doing? Like, sure, I stood on the truth, but I also pushed someone away from it at the same time. Um, where I think just general characteristics of love would come in where basically this... The best definition I can give is found in the Bible from 1 Corinthians 13 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way and it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So if I'm coming at somebody and I'm like, Um, Screaming truth And saying that it's love Love has its own method Is kind of what I'm saying Do you have something to add?
1: I just want to comment on that verse It says love does not insist on its own ways And when you're saying that loving someone Is giving them what they want It's not Right Love does not insist on their own ways It insists way, God's way
0: Yeah You know. Right. And you kinda just brought up a point that I was gonna make next, which is that um, in the Bible, when we see this verse of loving thy neighbor as thyself, the it's talking about in terms of the great commandment. So I'll just read it. It comes from Mark twelve twenty eight and says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, Asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and all of your strength. The second is this you should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And whenever the whole context of this verse Is that the scribe is coming up and they're asking Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Second is to love your neighbor as yourselves. These are the greatest commandments. Which implies the fact that God has an established order. When he's saying, if God commanded this, then do it. It's no, like, well, I feel like this, or I want this. It's black and white, and it's a matter of what has God commanded? How am I following what God has commanded best? And so whenever we kind of say that loving somebody is validating them and how they feel, if that's not coming back to God's established order and commandments then that's not love. That's leading them farther from the truth. And 1 Corinthians says that love rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in evil doing, rejoices in the truth. The truth is always going to bring us back to what God, like, originally commanded. What are your thoughts? I just...
1: It makes a lot of sense that people would take these verses out of context... Like you said, that one person had a billboard that said, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And it really does make a lot of sense for them to take it out of context because it seems to me that it's very evident that the Bible, if if these people are trying to act like they're supporting the Bible in um, what they're doing with abortion, whatever it is, it's go- it's directly contradictory to what the Bible says. And, like, notice how they don't put the whole passage up on the billboard or talk about <laughs> the context. Right. Like, they only care about that one verse taken out of context, and, you know, because it's taken from the Bible, it has to be true and support their argument, like...
0: hmm And so then I want to discuss kind of... Sort of what we were talking about before, about how people's wants and their needs have just been misconstrued, but how this Western view of happiness has kind of taken precedent over truth. We've established that loving somebody is guiding them in truth back to the commandments and the order that God has established. But that's very countercultural to say, because somebody would say that the ultimate aim is happiness, eudaimonia, or even like utilitarianism, which is like what creates the most happiness for the most amount of people, Um, but that's not love, (laughs) and how whenever we just give in and support and encourage, or we become a so-called ally to what people want and they feel, it's misleading. Um, I don't think that I would have to make a very strong argument to say that our feelings are not the most dependent thing in this world you're my sister and some days it doesn't feel like you love me although at the end of the day i can come around and acknowledge you love me and that's a matter of fact whenever we uproot things from reality and we kind of run with them and then we try to gain encouragement and we gain support And when people don't support us, we say, well, you're not loving me. We're really missing the fact that to love somebody is not to let them do whatever they want, but it's to guide them in a way that is better. What do you have to say?
1: It's just funny, the double standard that's put on parents compared to these teenagers. Like, it's okay to let your your friend have sex with some dude they just met. And then it's not a... And we're like, oh yeah, parents should tell their kids not to go to that party. Like... Mm -hmm. You're allowed to tell your kids when something's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, don't eat that. It's not good for you. Mm -hmm. Don't run across the street when there's cars coming at you because it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like, that's loving them because you're taking care of them. Mm -hmm. And that is actually their need. But, like, when you're with a friend and you seem to tell them the truth, you're not loving them.
0: Right. Yeah, love does not mean blind support of people's feelings or their attempt at happiness. Um, because honestly, any attempt that we make at happiness, if it is not aimed at being more like Christ, bringing glory to God and knowing God better, it is going to fail us (laughs) hard, hard and fast because it comes back to that self-idolatry. If I'm just seeking after whatever's going to make me happy in the moment, whether, that means it's destructive or not. I'm I'm kind of putting my faith into something that is fleeting or as the Bible calls it the sinking sand, and we need to build a firm foundation on the rock which never changes. Our feelings are always changing. They are not consistent. And so to love somebody and say, "Oh yeah, if it makes you feel good," or I just want you to be happy. That's not really love. To love somebody would be to guide them in the truth to what we know is a rock solid and firm foundation, which is good because then the burden is no longer on us to have to provide something that makes us happy, but it's rooted in something that never changes. What would you like to add? I just want to touch on the people
1: who are kind of who would be listening to this and they're feeling comfortable because they are not, like, supporting their friends. Like, they're loving them. Mm, mm -hmm. Quote, unquote, loving them. But they're not supporting them. Those lukewarm people. I want to say, if you're not supporting them, but you're not rejecting that and they don't know how you feel about it, you're just sitting there, you're not loving them either. Because think about God, our prime example of love really is, you just really have to look at God at this point, like, Mm. God punishes wrongdoings, he has justice, like, he will Mm -hmm. justice will be for all, and it'll be his, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't sit there and say, well, I don't think it's right, but I love them, so I'm gonna let them do whatever they want. No, he punishes them. Right. Like, you at least have to stand firm in your belief
0: and, you know, hope for the best. Mm -hmm. Like... (laughs) So, two things to pull from that, you know, the analogy that we um, have is like, you know, God is a good father and parents are supposed to punish the wrongdoing of their children. It's good discipline so that they would learn and that they would be better. And we have the analogy of God being a good father in that we need to expect the fact that like our actions have consequences, but the consequences come from love. But then also, um, on that same note of just kind of general complacency, it made me think of in the Bible, that story where Jesus drives all of the merchants out of the temple. Jesus didn't talk to his disciples and say, well, you know, capitalizing and selling things out of the temple isn't really how I would do it. Or, it's not really what I think we should do, but they, seem, do <laughs> but they seem happy, so you do you. Go ahead, live your truth and sell in the temple. Get that bag, girl. No, he went and he braided branches together, flipped the tables over, drove them out of the temple, and he stood on the truth of his word. Sure, I, you know, I bet those merchants were really happy with all the money that they were making. He didn't care, because it's not about happiness. It's about guiding people to the truth of God's word, where happiness and joy are truly found. Mm -hmm. Not this fake sense of happiness that we get in fleeting things here and there, because it seems like every time you catch one of those, you have to run ten times faster to catch the next one. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Where we take rest in knowing that our joy and our happiness is found in Christ that never moves we don't have to run to catch up with it it's always there um so yeah that was a really good point about this complacency with you know you do you and I'll do me
1: Mm -hmm.
0: like how how are you supposed to love thy neighbor as yourself if what is best for yourself is different for someone else
1: yeah it's like
0: (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't make sense
1: this is cringy, but it's like watching them drink water when you could give them living water. You mm-hmm. know, exactly. Or at least show them living water and what it looks like. Right, yeah, and also, we're commanded to live out the example of Christ, and are we doing that if we're not standing on our beliefs?
0: Yeah, I don't I think would so. Argue we're not now standing on our beliefs in a loving way. Yeah, yeah, which means if somebody has a conflicting opinion. I'm not going to flip their table and, like, you know, scream at them. Like, I think this goes case by case. But hearing somebody out and saying, I disagree with you and I think you're wrong. This is what I believe and why. And doing so in such a civil and a patient and a kind way is a testimony in and of itself. See, like, when Christ and his spirit is living in us the way we do things should be completely different from the world around us standing on truth as a christian will look completely different from like the mental image we get of like the person on a soapbox just shouting down at everybody um standing on truth in love would be patient and kind hearing people out not rejoicing in the evil that they do but guiding them to truth What would you like to add? I just think a good way
1: to approach that is the polemic approach of, like, apologetics. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. So
0: go ahead and explain that for all of our listeners. So it's with you. Basically, you
1: evangelize with, for, and against uh, whoever you're talking to. And this it's nice because you can transfer it between societies where it's different. So basically, when you're doing it with, you're kind of listening to the context and you're using whatever information you need to kind of help them understand. And you're, like, for example, in our culture, we'd be talking about transgender stuff. And we can level with them, see where what they think, and, like, kind of help them out and see where we're coming from in that context. Instead of just saying, you're wrong, you're wrong. Being like, okay, I see where you're coming from, mm-hmm. but, and then the next thing would be against. Mm-hmm. This is where it falls short compared to what I believe. And four would be just saying it in language they understand,
0: Mm. not
1: using big words Mm -hmm. and, like, trying to make them feel like an idiot. But, yeah, with for and against, I feel like that's pretty loving, and it touches all three of those. And, like, I think if you're keeping that structure in your mind, it also kind of levels you out instead of, like, being like, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm right.
0: Like, Mm -hmm. it's a battle or something. Yeah, and I think another thing to consider here is, like, when we are guiding someone in truth... You can't think of it as me against you, but we're on the same team and in a way we're pushing the ball in the same direction. Like both of us want to be happy and do good. That is the objective. Now the way I'm getting there looks a lot different from the way you're trying to get there. Let me show you why my way is more helpful. Mm -hmm. Let me show you, let me tell you, let me explain to you why we should take this approach in this objective. It's not, you know, this dichotomy or, like, the great debate, but (laughs) it's teamwork because that's your neighbor. It's not that picture of uh, Jesus and Satan arm wrestling. Yeah, it's... (laughs) Right. It's not like I represent team Jesus and you represent team (laughs) Satan and we're gonna, you know, intellectually box this one out. Mm -hmm. It's, I wish you guys could see that. I just threw air punches. (laughs) It's, hey, we're both wearing the same jersey. We are both human beings trying to find happiness in this sin covered world. Now hear me out. I, I see why you might be doing this kind of footwork but let me show you why I do this kind of footwork. And hopefully, just hopefully, their hearts are softened, they have ears to hear and eyes to see, the truth that leads us ultimately to that end goal. Do you have anything to add? Yeah, I was thinking about
1: this as we were going into this conversation of what do you do when you love your neighbor and they completely reject you? especially in a family situation because I've talked to people about this and um, I've heard some good people talk about what to do in that situation from a Christian approach and I think it's important from a mental health perspective to realize what you can and can't control Mm -hmm. and some people it's really hard to help them see the truth and you don't really know if they're going to see the truth or, like, decide to turn to it, and how do you still love them in that? I say, you stand on your beliefs, and do what's safe for you, as in, don't... If, like, talking about it in front of them is gonna, like, physically hurt you, then they know what you believe already, Mm -hmm. and you just quietly sit there, love them, Hmm. as in nurture them, Mm -hmm. not... Yeah, nurture them is a better word. Mm, take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um but you've tr- you've loved them in the sense that they know what you believe and you're just you're trying to keep that peace there. But if you're physically going to get hurt in that situation and you can't really control what that person's going to do, it's really sticky, but I think you just have to be careful but also stick to your beliefs.
0: Mhm. Yeah. So it's a really hard situation. I think nurture is a really good word that you brought up here because it's not the same as like supporting or encouraging. Um, When you think of nurture, it kind of brings it down to this very practical level of, listen, I don't agree with you and I'm not going to say this is what I believe, but you believe whatever you want to believe, but it's, I don't agree with you, but listen, I'll, I'll, I'm here to talk if you're having a hard day. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be patient with you when you are having a hard day. I'm going to be kind to you no matter how you treat me. It's just like that biblical definition of love. I'm not going to be proud. I'm not going to be dishonest with you. We do not agree. I'm standing firm on that. But I don't hate you. (laughs) And I love you as I love myself and that I see you as an intrinsically valuable human being made in the image of God who Christ loved enough to die on a cross for. I love you and I'm going to put your needs, your actual needs, above myself and I'm going to love you like I love myself because I know who I am in God. I see what you can be in God, and so through patience and kindness and all the things that love is, that's how I'm going to love you, unequivocally and unapologetically, standing on the truth of God's word, pointing you to the commandments and the order that he has established.
1: And that Christian character is an apologetic in of itself to Mm -hmm. that person you're trying to help.
0: Yes, because our actions and our words and just those things are going to be a testimony. Mm -hmm. They should make us stand out. Our verse of the week last week was, um, the fruits of the Spirit. And I talk a lot about, at least in my personal life, whenever, um, people ask me a question about, like, well, how do I know if I'm saved? And I talk, well, if the Spirit is in you, there should be a fruit. There is a process of sanctification that happens. And, um... I was a biblical studies major and so I always think a lot about how the New Testament is an echo of the Old Testament and how when God gave the Israelites the Levitical law, one of the main reasons he gave this to them is so that they would be very explicitly different from the cultures around them and how the continuation of the similar practice in the New Testament is no longer, you know, women cover your head, men don't shave your beards, but now it's a a heart change, and it's these actions that are different in that we show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The way we act and the way we, um, we carry ourselves is going to be different from the culture around us. Um, it's not so much that we need to cover our heads to stand out to be different, but just the way we act and we love each other is going to be different. And so, Even just having the fruit of the Spirit in us is going to be loving. Do you have anything to add? I don't think so. Yeah. So, (laughs) to wrap up that discussion, to love thy neighbor as yourself, who's your neighbor? Well, first, actually, let's start with love. Love, guiding people in the truth of God's Word. Who's your neighbor? anyone and everyone even those you dis- even those you dis oh my goodness oh even those that you disagree with and those who necessarily don't even want to be in a relationship with you and how should we love ourselves to see ourselves exactly as we are talked about and portrayed in the Bible not a self idol but to see ourselves as children of God made in his image. So, this brings us to our fun segment of the episode. Uh, We just got done with Thanksgiving. Last week, we talked about our favorite Thanksgiving foods and that was really good. Um, The biggest news I have is that I got a Nespresso machine just yesterday for Black Friday. Even though we had a big in-depth discussion on Black Friday and idolatry and all the things surrounding that, I was able to get one good purchase in on Black Friday, um, which was this Nespresso machine. Which leads us to our fun question. What is your go-to coffee order? Um, why don't you start, Soph? I hate the taste
1: of coffee <laughs> so I don't really order coffee if I was going to it it would be something with a lot of cream and f- flavoring mm um, I'm more of a tea person um, but it also has to be sweet I don't like just the taste of like water hmm so I usually get a chai tea with some pumpkin in there if it's in season if not um, I usually just get vanilla in it right or is it yeah, just I sweetener? Think so. I don't... I, I get chai tea with that, and then I get vanilla, uh, cold foam on it.
0: Mm.
1: Sweet vanilla cold foam on it. And
0: it's really yummy. Or a pink drink. Yeah. Yeah, what about you? So, just to preface this, I am a Starbucks girl. Like, in and through. <sighs> don't get me wrong, I will definitely go for the occasional Dunkin', but I'm never going for the coffee, I'm going for the sugar. So if I'm going for coffee, I'm going to Starbucks because I feel like it's just so much better. But um, right now, this time of year, I'm getting a iced peppermint mocha with peppermint cold foam because I'm obsessed with all things peppermint this season. Um, I also love their peppermint hot chocolate. But throughout the year, so whenever they get rid of the peppermint, even up through like, most of November, my go-to coffee order is a blonde vanilla iced latte with vanilla cold foam. Mm. Like, you just can't go wrong. It's, like, a good, rich coffee with the sweet cold foam on top. I really like it, and I almost always go iced. (laughs) Um, I have to be in a mood for hot coffee, and if I'm gonna drink hot coffee, I'd rather be at home. If I'm gonna go out, I'm getting iced coffee. I think we can both agree, though, that cold foam makes the whole drink. Cold foam is definitely superior, really good yeah that was that was the best coffee innovation um and the sip lid, and the sip lid that makes it all the better too I can't imagine having cold foam with a straw because then I'd have to wait till the end yeah <laughs> but that was our episode for today as always if you enjoyed or if you felt like this is something worth sharing please send it to a friend leave us a comment we would love to hear from you and if you would like to see more content, just go ahead on over to Instagram and follow us at gathering underscore B, gathering underscore B-E-E. Um, send us a DM and we will have more stuff coming out over there and some exciting news. We are working on getting the podcast video recorded and published somewhere so you can see live action what all of these discussions look like. So that will be coming in the near future. Um, yeah, and we're trying to do weekly updates, so this should be out by Sunday morning about every week. Um, so yeah, once again, like, share, follow, um, send this to your friends, and we will talk to you again next week. See ya!